Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the 33rd episode of Why Are People Into That? The podcast with rising action, a climax, and of course, a denouement. I hope you enjoyed the two-part Year in Sex crossover episode with Susie Q of The Whorecast and Sam Solo of On Your Face. This is the first official episode of the third season, and there are big changes coming in 2016. I've got some new microphones, thanks to my friend, Donnie Service, and we are joining the Whorecast Network with some other big announcements coming down the pike, so stay tuned. In the meantime, join the gaggle of adorable perverts who have already signed up for my Patreon. You know how a couple of people trickle into the party and then all of a sudden everybody shows up to the party? I want my fan club to be like that. Join for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash tinahorn. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. My guest for this episode is Milka Halili, a really talented writer and cam performer. I recently saw them read at the Coming Out Like a Porn Star party at Blue Stockings here in New York City, and they totally owned the place. So, make sure you're all tucked in for why are people into stories. going can i just can i just say my my guest today is drinking tap water out of a um a fifth of an empty fifth of bullet bourbon on this beautiful sunny sunday morning it's just the perfect size yeah absolutely does it does it have the faintest taint of bourbon in it or it used to have the the tiniest taint, but <laughs> I took out the cork, so I see. that's where most of it was. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, hi, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Will you um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, these days, I just moved to Brooklyn from California, from the Bay Area. Um, I've been there all my life, and now I'm here. 
And I moved here to focus a lot more on my writing. Cool. And That's why me. I moved here from the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we already have that in common. Oh, cool. I, yeah. So tell me about your writing. Yeah. Um, it's mostly creative nonfiction. Recently, I've been getting more interested in copywriting and technical blogging, like how to's for people. Nice. Cool. That's very sensible. Yeah. And creative nonfiction. I don't know if I'm going to retire on creative nonfiction. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but there's you know lots of reasons to think about um, to move to Brooklyn to become a writer besides making a living doing it. Um, there, there, there has to be, there ought to be. Um, so, um, what kinds of creative nonfiction do you like to write about? Mostly I write about my experiences in porn and also in publishing spaces. Mm. I see a lot of similarities. Um, interesting. As my friend Joel Hewler, he's a poet. He said to me that uh, being on stage, you know, reading is the same thing as being naked. Mm. <laughs> so I, I see that comparison, that parallel. And it's also interesting being a queer person of color in those spaces yeah. that are predominantly white <laughs> and cis. So I write a lot about navigating that as well. And that is one of the reasons that I love your writing. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so I would love to hear more about your work, but um, let's uh, narrow in on our topic today because yes. I think there's going to be overlap between those two things. So what you wanted to talk about today is why are people into stories or why are people into narratives? Um, and tell me a little bit about why that was the thing that you wanted to talk about. Sure. Um, for, for me, stories have really informed my sexuality uh, it's actually how I got into porn mm-hmm. and sex work to begin with. I identified as an asexual sex worker. And through sex work and primarily digging for people's stories prior to connecting with them in a professional setting, um, when I would do that, when I would dig for stories or narratives, I would feel more connected in the professional space and be able to perform or give a better service that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I like the way you say that. Because um, it is about performance and service. That's where the work comes in. Of the, So you're, you're performing a fantasy that is often curated and often curated live, you know, so it's, it's, um, it's ad-libbed yeah. um, or improved, improvised. Um, but, you're also providing the service of that fantasy and your, your performance becomes something that is not just curated as a work of art, but curated as emotional service, psychological service, and just straight up like the sexual satisfaction. I mean, depending on the client, it could be any combination of those or some other motivation, right? Yes. Yes. With clients. And also I feel like on porn sets like some of the most satisfying sex I've had were with people who whose stories that I already shared and had built a rapport with Mm -hmm. and also with my clients I I tend to get people who don't just want like an exotic looking Asian (laughs) female body person (laughs) that word exotic (laughs) yes exactly to 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 engage with them it's more of like hey I've read your stories Mm. and that for me informs how I sexualize this experience. 
Oh, that's so interesting. You know, I... uh, Do you think that that is more true for sex worker can i ask like in, in general like within five years like how old you are oh um or you can say how old you are yes <laughs> i'm 26 okay you're 26 um so i'm 33 yeah um and i feel like and i started doing client-based sex work when i was 24 also in the bay area and i feel like probably because of social media and just the uh, saturation and density of what is available on the internet and and through media and information sharing um, with uh, sexually explicit media, um, that sex workers are allowed and expected, that's sort of like the double side of the coin, to have more of a complex personality and have more of what they're selling be a personality that is always available or like the veneer of it is always available and always on. Um, And that a client might be more inclined to want to hire you because they see your weirdness behind the, behind the scenes and they, they feel like they have a sense of your, wild, queer, slutty life, whatever their perception of it is based on on what you're putting out there. Whereas when I was a baby how in the like mid aughts, (laughs) um, partially, this is partially true just because of the house that I came up in and the community that I came up in, um, and, and my own personal, um, ways of, of becoming a, a sex worker sustainably. But like, I, um, I was expected at all of the houses that I worked in to keep my privacy really, really, to keep those lines drawn really clearly Mm. and to not give clients a sense of, for example, my writing or Mm -hmm. what I was putting out in the world under different names and different personas about, um, uh, about being queer, about uh, having ideas that might be different from the ideas that I might espouse in session while I'm being paid. You see what I mean? Yeah. And so do you, do you, is any of this like ringing a bell? Like, do you think that this has changed at all? Have you seen a change in oh. the time you've been in the industry? I mean, I haven't, I wasn't following you around when you were baby ho, but you know, <laughs> like I can just from what you're saying and my experience of it, I feel like media right now like, with the advent of the internet getting all up in everybody's feelings now. <laughs> oh my like, god, yes. Not just their business, but their feelings. <laughs> their feelings, yeah. Um, there's just such a saturation of, like, emotionally taboo things being published right now that... That's right. Like, you know, big whoop. <laughs> no, totally. Um, so, yeah, so you feel like people are not easily shocked by just, oh my god, I'm talking to a person online! Like, mm. that used to be, like, so much... Yeah, and now like the the internet is not in puberty anymore, where nope. you can just make out and feel like fireworks going off, like yep. um, <laughs> every, every time. Yeah, or not right, <laughs> and we're not in AOL, you know, chat rooms oh, asking yes. age, sex, location. We're we're in video chat rooms, Google That's Hangouts, right. Tiny Chat, having conversations, doing readings. <laughs> right, right, and a lot of I mean, even just the fact that. Of course, sex work moves with 
technology mm-hmm. um, and often guides technology, yes. et cetera, et cetera. It's like a cliche at this point. Um, but when you have things like Snapchat, mm-hmm. you know, then you think about what Snapchat means for sex workers. And for example, uh, the only reason that I use Snapchat is to follow my sex worker friends who <laughs> let me follow them for free, whereas they will charge somebody else like $20 for um, access or it'll be part of their Patreon or part of their, like something like if you are like part of their like membership or like fan club, one of the things that you get is access to their Snapchat and then it's just a constant story that they're telling, right? I mean, yes. it even calls it stories in, in Snapchat, doesn't it? Like m- Like my story. I don't know. I don't use Snapchat, but I believe it. I feel like you would make some interesting <laughs> things on Snapchat, and then you should screenshot them and then put them up in a higher gallery and uh-huh. make, make a bunch of money. Um, so that's that's my tip for you. Thank but, you. Um, but um, so, what role do? Okay, so so the fact that your clients are interested in the stories that you are telling um, sort of behind the scenes, as it were, and not just on the platform that they can, the sex work platform that they can pay for. And that ends up being sort of part of, it It ends up being good for business and contributes to your brand, right? Yes. Is, is what you're saying? Mm-hmm. So what kinds of stories are they? I... They, they're creative nonfiction stories, actually. Yeah. I, I've learned how to make a craft, craft out of my life, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Um, I, I, it's actually like a place where I can just meditate on who I want to be, mm-hmm. and then I can soundboard it off on my clients almost. That's so cool. Yeah. Like, (laughs) so I started off as this asexual, um, queer, but not really loud about it, um, femme drag person. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem was I was femme dragging all the time. I didn't have like a distinct, like this is me in my professional life and this is me in my private life. Why was that a problem? Um, I think trauma and post-traumatic stress. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up, very gender fluid and I was surrounded by a lot of boys and violence Mm -hmm. and so I think I had internalized a lot of that and just like growing up being catcalled like having dudes trying to pit me out like faced with violence all the time and being the kind of person who at some point you know hit their girlfriend because they couldn't manage their anger like having internalized all the misogyny um I think I had I just Trying to survive as a queer person of color from the burbs of the hood, like, (laughs) there were just only so many things on the hierarchy of, like, problems that I had that I could, felt like I could manage. So, I just felt like, hey, if I femme drag and if I appear more femme, then I could make a lot more money at a faster rate and then proceed to get whatever like, get out of whatever pickle I was in, so... So did you feel like your drag was a story that you were telling your clients? Yeah, and it was also, at some point, because stories inform how we, you know, express and identify in the world, at least for me, um, it, it also... I also told myself this story, and it became me, even though deep down it wasn't necessarily how I felt. Mm-hmm. Right, so you were dressing high femme all the time, and yeah. so you were 
telling yourself the same story that you were telling your clients. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, and but has that changed? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't perceive myself as, or I don't identify necessarily with being asexual anymore. I feel way more demisexual. In that, Can you tell me what that means? Or yeah. tell my listeners what um, demisexual is? Yeah, for sure. So asexuality is like no sex, no sexual attraction mm-hmm. or drive towards others. And demisexual, in the general terms that it's been used, is when you have a romantic or emotional connection, mm. then there's sexual attraction for me. It's not so much that, it's it's more like if I have a shared story with you and a shared history mm. with you, um, that coupled with like emotional and spiritual sense of safety and trust, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then I will have like a really amazing sexual attraction for someone. Okay, interesting. Um, so that's changed, and what about your... Um, your high femme <laughs> story. I mean, yeah. uh, can you can you tell the, the listeners at home um, what your sweatshirt that you're wearing says? It says self care like a boss. So good. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> uh, cool. As soon as I saw it, that's so great. Um, but uh, how often do you find yourself uh, dressing super high femme these days? Um, for work, like I dance at pumps. Oh, uh, nice. Oh, yeah. I gotta. We'll fi- I'll it, find out when you when you work there. It's, it's alternative <laughs> a, girls, people of color. <laughs> yeah, I mean, an, a, a former uh, coworker of mine worked there, and I was always like, uh, <laughs> I definitely want to want to go. So I, I got to make it. Pumps is uh, it's in Greenpoint. It's a uh, Williamsburg. Okay, it's in Williamsburg, and yeah. it's a um, is it? It's not all nude. Is it a topless place? Yeah, topless. Topless. Yeah, cool. Cool. Well. Yeah. So for pumps, um, when I do sex work I sometimes it depends on what it is if I'm required to be more femme then I will show up as femme but with private clients private Skype shows sometimes I'll be androgynous Mm -hmm. um and generally I like to dress more masculine of center Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. daily cool um so I'm so interested in you know, there's the general idea of the stories that we tell ourselves in order to live, yeah. according to Joan Didion, right? Um, you know, who, what we tell ourselves about our identities and um, where we are in our lives, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's role plays. <laughs> and But then there's, there's also sort of the... When you're connecting with someone sexually, whether they are a client or an intimate uh, acquaintance yeah. encounter um, <laughs> or partner, mm-hmm. um, there's also the story that you're kind of telling each other about your sexual selves, right? So, like, you might meet somebody and their story might be, um, I'm a daddy top and I'm really into uh, into bondage and Jenna torture and you know that's like what I like and then the other person tells their story and if that story is compatible or you know maybe if there's friction then that is also hot you know like an attraction is a mystery but (laughs) is that is that sort of when you were talking about like erotic stories you know that was like one of the things that came to my mind, like the yeah. sort of the the stories that make up our identities and 
um, that are based on our gender and our desires and all of these other things and, and how those interplay um, in sexual relationships. Is that... Am I, like, on the right track? So right. Like, <laughs> uh, I can give an example, actually. I would love that. Yes. Um, so the way that I actually got into porn was that I really wanted kinky sex. And mm-hmm. I couldn't find it as hardcore as I wanted in my private life. So I was like, why didn't I just get paid by kink.com to have great sex? So <laughs> Many, many folks with those intentions have darkened the doors yep. of the armory. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Myself included. Yes. And the way that I had found out about kink.com was I would show up to the Rumpus's monthly readings when they would do them in San Francisco in the makeout room. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, In the mission, yeah. Yes. And I saw on the website that Lorelai had done an oral history of kink with Stephen Elliott. Oh, nice. So uh, through there, I, I don't know, I had a friend who lives in Brooklyn and he told me that Lorelai was doing writing classes in San Francisco. Yeah. So having read stuff, I took I took one actually. Nice. I took a workshop. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Lorelai so is so good. Yeah, no, <laughs> she's she's the she's the man. Yes, yeah. for sure. Um, and having read you know those stories online, I was just like, fuck yeah, I want to do this, and maybe this is a way for me to like build rapport and trust and find a way to get into the armory. So I took two classes. I love that your <laughs> way of getting into the armory was to take a writing class with Lorelai. That is, that says, that tells me a lot about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took a creative nonfiction writing class. And then I also took a sex, death, laughter, and disease I, writing and body. I took that one too from yes. her. Yeah, in the summer of 2011. Oh, it murdered my life. <laughs> in the best way. But, um... Yeah, I I did that, and um, I don't know it. Having had that relationship with Lorelai prior to being on set with her, it just mm. made everything so much more intense, and it kind of informed how I wanted to have sex for the rest of my life. Because I was just <laughs> like, well, I just want to have sex with my friends who mm. understand craft and narrative and know how to empathize through art, and yeah. Then that since then it's been a wrap. <laughs> You know, that's so funny because the first time that I shot at kink.com, it was because Lorelai and I were friends and we were together <laughs> um, in a dungeon where we often would be paid to tell people stories in mm-hmm. various ways. And uh, uh, and yeah, you know, she, she she's very good at um, shepherding queermos in there and getting getting us paid a couple of times before somebody's like, ah, this person has too many tattoos, or this person's <laughs> hair is weirdly configured on their body, or like, this person won't put up with a bunch of bullshit, so we're not going to cast them anymore. But anyway, um, uh, so yeah, yeah, and I, I, it was the experience of shooting for, um, it was Wired Pussy at the time, um, uh, a site that's now called um, Electro Sluts. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, bottoming to her and taking that pain from her, it's like funny to imagine people seeing that video online now, where, and for... For me, it was all about pleasing Lorelai. And to a certain amount, I think pleasing Donna and just really, like, wanting to show up and be, like, the complete, like, bottom badass mm-hmm. that could fucking take all kinds of pain and torture. Do what? So what shoot did you, or what site did you do with Lorelai? Oh, my goodness. Um, 
I know I did a lecture since with her and Public Disgrace, which I actually cover in my memoir that I'm writing. Nice. Yeah. Who's publishing that memoir? Uh, so far, just me. Okay. <laughs> are just, you putting it online? I'm, I'm releasing little teasers of it, and um, that that's working for me right now. Cool. We're, we're going to talk uh, after the show about cool. that. Yeah, sweet. Um, cool. So you wrote about doing public disgrace. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about kink, to try to sort of bring it back to why are people into stories, you know. I, I think that one of the things that is... One of the things that has always attracted me to kinky sex and also kinky sex work, whether it's strictly sex work or even art about uh, BDSM and themes and et cetera, et cetera, is that it's sex that foregrounds a story and a narrative, which is why kink.com sites are all so high concept, right? The concept is about the character and the dynamic just played out over and over and over again. So if the dynamic that you like is a woman who really wants to be like forced into sex by five guys at the same time, <laughs> then you can watch Hardbound Gangbangs over and over and over again. And if yeah. the narrative that you like is you really, you know, even if it's a totally fucked up narrative such as the woman that I thought was a woman is actually it's still a woman, but she's a trans woman and she's got a big hard <laughs> dick and she's going to surprise me and then tie me up and torture me and fuck me in the ass. Mm-hmm. Super problematic, yet very appealing fantasy to many people. Mm-hmm. If that fantasy is going to be played out, at least it should be played out by a bunch of trans people working behind the scenes and, um, you know maybe subverting it in a lot of weird ways. But anyway, not to be an apologist for King.com, but um, uh, more just like a general porn apologist. Yes. Um, But but yeah, I mean, so how do you feel about the relationship between kinky sex and the stories that get told in kinky sex? For me, it's kind of hard to, like, divide the two. Yeah. Um... I think because I do come from a more, like, asexual, gray ace background, I, like, for me, the story is just queer and pervert everything. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So, um, I don't know how I could, how those could live without each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of a story that you really like? Uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of really intricate, though. That's, um, that's fine. Okay, so I'll, I'll use this. I, I had a dream this morning, and it was just this completely vivid narrative about you. I had never met you, but you were there in, in HD during some parts of the dream. And it was just like this like sexualized narrative. Like mm. I can't tell Ooh. you like details of what happened, but it was just like mostly talking and mostly, I guess, story, like, le- like story digging and learning and like, figuring out where boundaries are. That's mostly what <laughs> pops up in my head. Cool. <laughs> oh, I'm flattered. <laughs> um, creative nonfiction. Creative nonfiction. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Um, yeah, I mean, creative nonfiction acknowledges that any nonfiction is, you know, filtered through someone's consciousness and memory and thus fictionalized in that way. Yeah. Um, why do you think other people are attracted to sex that has characters, fantasy, 
like specific scenarios attached to it as opposed to you know I like I'm trying to imagine that as I'm trying to imagine a control group sex like sex that has no story <laughs> I, I mean <laughs> who these who the people are that are having sex is always going to be inherent in the story but yeah. you know there might be stories that are more literal or um overwrought or melodramatic mm-hmm. than others um but why do you what do you think the appeal is for people in general because it's not just it's not just us <laughs> yeah yeah I, I really feel like putting stories um into sexual fantasies gives people a place to project maybe parts of themselves mm-hmm. or like larger than life or maybe even like more literal parts of themselves and so that they can feel in a way special Mm -hmm. and also interconnected for me that's how it is because I I feel like my fantasies are so particular but to see something just as weird like even if it's not the same Mm. narrative or story just but just as like intricate and nuanced for me it makes me feel less lonely and less freaky Mm mm-hmm can you give me an example of like sort of well I mean I guess you just did the yeah well um so for like I guess for like my clients for example um one like they they tend to do a lot of creative nonfiction with me too they'll talk about their lives and their fantasy lives and how they want to become more of like their fantasy story and through reenacting that fantasy story whether it's like my online slave or Mm. one of my fans that just really loves to read my writing and talk about my writing before we jack off together like (laughs) like, oh my god that's so cute (laughs) right like it I feel like it makes them feel special because it's not just this like you know like it's like create your own adventure create your own story it's not just like this fill in the blank and be anybody else it's this thing that's individualized and personified specifically for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Hi everybody, it's Tina here. Um, I'm trying something a little new in 2016, so um, I hope that you are not too uh, upset or in too much suspense uh, to take a little break from listening to my conversation with Milka Halili. Um, I am going to answer an advice question. Um, This question comes from one of my first patrons on Patreon. Um, And if you want to check out what all of the perks are, you can go to patreon.com slash Tina Horn. If you pledge $5, you get to ask me for sex advice and uh, let me know if you're okay with me answering it on the air. And in case you can't tell, I usually am either on this show having a conversation with someone else or reading a script that I've written. So it's a little bit outside my comfort zone to be speaking off the cuff, um, but I am trying to be more fearless in 2016, just like David Bowie would want me to. So my very first advice question from a patron comes from Chandler. Thank you so much for your amazing question, Chandler. Here goes. Chandler asks, I enjoy frequent rough bottoming in my front hole 
and I am a bit of a size queen. What are your recommendations for speedy healing? I find that I have to stop before I want to sometimes, and often I have to turn down partners because I am sore, red, and irritated from the night before. Chandler, I feel your pain. I mean, like maybe not literally, um, but figuratively, I feel I feel your pain. Um, so what do you do when you really like rough bottoming and you want to have it more than your body is letting you? Um, the first thing that I would say, and it almost just seems like so obvious that I'm sure that you've thought of it, um, uh, but the first thing that I want to say is use more lube. If you're not already using lube, please use lube. Um, lube is amazing. I don't even know where to start. Um, singing the praises of lube and all of the different kinds that you can get at your wonderful local, uh, feminist sex positive sex toy store or online. Um, uh, and there are many wonderful resources of what to look out for when you are buying lube. Um, but I would say that, you know, maybe stopping and lubing up, um, or reapplying lube is not a part of your fantasy of, um, frequent rough bottoming. Um, but I would recommend making this slight concession. Uh, I really don't think that it's going to, um, cramp your style too much or the style of your partners to, um, to request a little bit of lube. Um, I would definitely recommend using silicone lube, um, because unlike water-based lube, silicone lube is not absorbed into the body as quickly. So it's really great for like long epic, fuck sessions. Um, of course, when using silicone lube, uh, remember to, uh, if you are using a silicone toy with a sil- with silicone lube, always make sure that you put a condom over the toy because silicone lube destroys silicone toys. Um, so that would be definitely my first recommendation. Frequent, uh, copious application of lube could completely transform your experience. Um, and please get at me and let me know, uh, what you think about that, uh, Chandler and everyone else. Um, and I guess that my other piece of advice would be if you are frequently finding yourself, would you say here, sore, red, and irritated from yesterday's fucking to the point where you can't have the kind of sex that you want to have um, because you are so uh, physically irritated in your hole. I would say, listen, I'm all for you just being this like size queen, bottom power, bottom queen, like get it girl. Yes, absolutely. Um, But okay. Like let's, let, let me put it this way. And by the way, I use uh, girl as a uh, gender nonspecific uh, greeting. Uh, <laughs> um, if you love pizza, and I'm sure you do, like let's say that your favorite kind of pizza is like a large, thick crust, extra sauce, all meat, deluxe pizza pie. 
that is that is what floats your boat and nobody should shame you for loving the pizza that you love and you should just eat the fuck out of that pizza to your heart's content and probably not the best idea to eat that particular favorite dish for dinner every night of the week. So maybe after you've indulged in a really big sausage pizza, if you will, Maybe the next day you want to think about like some roughage. You want to think about like some brown rice um, <laughs> and kale uh, because brown rice and kale are also awesome. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And variety is the spice of life. So, to walk the metaphor back, if I think that you should listen to your body. Uh, holes are fantastic elastic places and they really can take quite an extraordinary amount. Um, and you really enjoy being in the situ being in a situation where you are maybe pushing yourself to take as much as you can possibly take. And I, I totally get that. And I, I want that for you, Chandler. I really do. And, um, I, and I think that if, you know, after a like really intense bout of rough bottoming, you know, maybe the next day, like think about like getting it in the butt or maybe think about topping or maybe think about oral sex or maybe like think about what kinds of kinks that you like or maybe even think about like really just having an amazing uh, intimate snuggle life as like part of your like sexual menu to uh, bring things full circle and wrap it up so um so in conclusion this has been kind of fun actually <laughs> talking to myself at my desk um, and imagining you all listening and taking notes, I am sure and hope. Um, in conclusion, lube, love it, use it, and uh, and var- variety is the spice of life. A, a, a large, a long menu with lots of options for your uh, sexual uh, repertoire to mix metaphors and. Um, uh, and uh, let me know what you think of that feedback, Chandler, uh, uh, at uh, Patreon, where we talk to each other all the time and are totally having a party. And anybody who's listening and hasn't already pledged, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Tina Horn. That's P-A... Oh, God. How is it spelled? That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. Thanks for going with me on this wild experiment, y'all. And now, back to my conversation with Milka Halili. 
Why are people into stories? the stories that get told in erotica and porn, do you think that, what do you think there is to learn from the stories that tend to get told over and over again Hmm. in erotica and porn? Yeah. I feel like it's telling that a lot of archetypes Mm. and like myths Mm -hmm. are just, you know, they're, they're staying with us over time and I think the interesting thing is like although there's that thread I feel like with each individual person that touches it or marks it with their own creativity it becomes like their own story in a Mm -hmm, way mm -hmm. so we can have this larger thread or this large story this bigger story that we all share but we can all have our own version or dream of it Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm that's my positive outlook on it. <laughs> what's, your, what's your negative outlook on it? Uh, that it's hurtful and harmful and that it can be deviated more. The kinds of stories that tend to get told over and over again yeah. are harmful? When when people who are marginalized, mm. um, their stories don't get told or they're starting to feel invisible, that's when I feel like like an absurd thing to happen. There needs to be... Uh, like there needs to be space for different stories to be told not Mm -hmm. necessarily that the ones that are there should be gone totally so do you feel that the stories that get told in porn are told by people who are not marginalized in the rest of the culture at large yeah sometimes well just coming from it as a person of of color who feels really privileged and a queer person who feels really privileged in some way like even though I identify as gender fluid and, and trans, like I still can pass mm. as a woman, and I don't mind being identified as a woman, so it doesn't really cause much strife in my life. And although I'm of color, I I know how to coach switch and I know how to navigate white spaces, and I've gotten really comfortable with it. <laughs> so, um, but advocating for people who can't, like I I I see a lot of frustration in marginalized spaces, specifically, like, fat or black, queer, trans, trans women specifically, I, yeah. I, I see them not feeling heard, and I feel like that's really harmful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely in porn, there needs to, yeah, <laughs> we are, as I was saying before, there are a lot of um, stories about trans women that are perpetuated in porn that show a very limited fantasy about what it means to be a trans woman or what it means to have sex with a trans woman. Yeah. Yeah. And women too. I mean, yeah, I I, I think that it's always so interesting. It's like, do we tell the same stories over and over in porn because those are like you were mentioning like myths uh, mythological archetypes that humans have been it's been shown that humans have been drawn to for millennia because the different kinds of gods and the different (laughs) kinds of stories and star wars and blah 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 um or is it that a lot of the people who produce porn they want to make money and these stories have been proven to sell and so they just keep making them instead of trying to tell different stories. I mean, I suppose the same could be said of, of 
Hollywood and and TV and True. novels and maybe there's a little bit more room for perspective in in writing but um yeah I feel like yeah it's like a little bit of both and um I feel like that's why people are starting their own things and yeah. becoming entrepreneurs and yeah. I mean that's what I, what artists have always done and I feel like it's becoming more popular because of online business mm-hmm um, I feel like people are not looking for a big, like, head media person to mm. tell their story for them. They're just saying, fuck it, I have a phone, I have YouTube, I'm yeah. just going to tell my own story. Yeah. Do you think that that is going to fuck with this sort of basic bitch idea of um, <laughs> of what sexuality is? That more and more people are saying, this is my subjective experience of sexuality, and putting that out into the world and, and being consumed and maybe even being consumed in a way that where people are looking for something to turn them on and then they're turned on by that thing and that's a really good way to, like, ingrain it into their brains. Yes, You exactly. see what I'm saying? I mean, well, like, I get off on stories, right? So I would go to YouTube to watch people read stories and I got off on that. So. Yeah, read sexual stories? Just or? stories. Like, yeah. it, it, especially creative nonfiction stories. Like, if it feel like... If I feel like I can feel a person or vibe with them, mm. then, like, even if it's just, like, part of their persona, like, I will sexualize that persona and and get off on it. <laughs> That's so awesome. I mean, it makes me just think that part of what this is about is wanting to connect with yeah. humans and empathize with them. And if... especially if you are coming from a place of sort of trying to figure out where you are on the asexuality spectrum, that the just because you're asexual doesn't mean that you don't want connection with other humans. Yes. And just because you're asexual, uh, again, it sounds like somewhere um, like uh, on the spectrum in a fluid way, which is awesome. um, That if you are asexual, that you are, that doesn't mean that you don't want the, very particular kind of intimacy that erotica that, that that erotic and kinky things can sometimes facilitate for some folks does that make sense you're that nodding makes so much sense i'm <laughs> nodding so much <laughs> yeah i mean i just love people and i love connecting to people and i just see so much benefit in learning how to connect with people on all dimensions. Mm-hmm, hmm And I feel like learning about somebody's story, like, taking them as a whole, complete human being, seeing all of their sides, and, like, crafting it into a character profile that I can create a game around and roleplay with to create, like, healing and transformation and just, like, fun, you know, and pleasure. I feel like that really... That's very healing, especially in, like, this crazy world we live in. And coming from someone who has, who deals with PTSD on a daily daily basis, I feel like I've had so much healing from not just kinky sex or, you know, negotiating boundaries and consent, but also being able to relate who I am in all of this as Mm. well and feeling identified with the process. What do you think of the stereotype that men and I say this you know 
strictly within the stereotype, masculine folks are more attracted to visual porn and women are more attracted to erotica because (laughs) women care about stories and emotion and men just care about seeing things going into holes and they don't even care. Um, Well, the way that I feel about that is that it's complete bullshit because that's not my experience of men or women at all. Yeah. Um, Mine mine either. Yeah, it's a a cute story, I guess. It would be great to fetishize and put it in a scene, but, (laughs) like, outside of that. So, (laughs) you mean, like, like taking this this stereotype and then, like, blowing it out of proportion and, like, putting it into a scene and fucking with it? I love love that. Now you're really singing my song. How would you you do that? Just, like, make it really outlandish and campy and just, like, hit it over the head, you know, like show up in drag. And I, I'd probably, I don't know. I'd probably be the high from in that scene, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and have, I don't know, whoever would want to be the man doesn't have to be a man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like male bodied or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The person who's playing the role of the man can yeah. be of any gender. Yeah. Of any, because even with my, um, my Skype show client, who's been my slave for almost three years now, he, uh, he'll call me master or mistress. Mm, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining a really funny scene where uh, a client has fetishized the idea of women being uh, turned on by stories, and you in high femme drag with like really big hair like Dolly, Dolly Parton hair and and like bubblegum pink with uh-huh. like press on nails and like just laying around in your bed like doing a Skype show and like making your client like dominating your client by making him tell you sexy stories like while you masturbate to them but then like yelling at him that it's not a good enough story and that he needs to have more details in the story and he needs to have better suspense and plot development you're being trite you're being trite no go back I don't like that trope I just lo- I'm not even wet anymore. Now you have to start over. Oh my god, should totally start a a, a, a ring, uh, uh, a web ring of storytelling. I fully support this. Oh my gosh, great! This is how we'll make our millions. Um, <laughs> um, I I love the idea of your response being like, well, let's just make a campy extreme out of it. <laughs> What yeah. Is, what is it like having um uh having a slave? Oh, a Skype client <laughs> slave. It's great. Um I go a little batty if I can't be mean to someone. Mm. And I also can't just be mean out of the blue. I really like with everything, I really need to have a rapport and a history mm-hmm. to feel engaged. Otherwise, I just get bored. <laughs> Chasing one high after the next. It's just easier to have a thread. Yes. (laughs) Also, when people want you to just be mean, it's like you haven't earned the right (laughs) for me to pay enough attention to you to be mean. Being mean takes a lot of energy. A lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to have to self-care my top self after each and every engagement like that. It's just 
it's just I guess that's why I'm sexually attracted to stories too. It's just easier. The come down's easier. Mm. I don't need to, you know, check in like as intensely with myself and the other person. That's interesting. People understand that you need a denouement after the climax. Yeah. Right? Uh huh. Intuitively. Just, we can't just be having orgasms all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> can't we? <laughs> You know, it, ma- it makes me think about cl- clients who, um, like, role play clients that I've had who show up at the door in character, which is, is fine in uh-huh. certain circumstances, especially if you've seen them before and you've negotiated and you know their limits and um, you know that you, they're not going to push the time or do anything whack. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that's, like, totally fine. And the person is just, like, shows up super turned on, super in subspace, super in character, like, locked in. And then you're like that for an hour. And then they yeah. come, and, like, the second that they come, they're like, oh, cool, so, uh, like, you know. Have you seen <laughs> Have you seen the new <laughs> Batman trailer? Oh. Batman versus Superman? Sports. And at that point, I'm like, get away from me! I don't want to have pillow talk. Yeah, I don't... Mean, my pillow talk is... Meditating for the next three hours. Yeah, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I, I mean, I have, I have that total... Um, speaking of male and female stereotypes, I have that total... Um, what is associated with men biologically, I somehow have that, um, that like, instant... Um, like refractory period, like after orgasm, where like if I'm watching porn, I'm like God, like close the <laughs> close, close the laptop, like not not because not because I'm like disgusted with yeah. myself or ashamed or grossed out, but just like oh my God, a second ago this was all I wanted to like concentrate on, and now I'm like I don't I don't want to see this anymore. It like looks completely different. I get you know? the same way. It's, I get the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of porn, um, y- you know. I, uh, I, I find that I really relate to you. I mean, just in the sense of like the porn that I'm attracted to, like I could watch like a hundred videos of people having sex, but I want to know why they're having sex and it doesn't need to be a high concept novel of a, of motivations. Um, but it could just be cause he's there to fix the cable. It could just be. <laughs> Because she's a cheerleader, like you know. But but if I don't see that, then I can't get into it. Yeah. But I don't think that's because I'm a lady. <laughs> I think it's because I'm a pervert. I think so too. <laughs> do you find the? Do you like watching porn? Yeah, I do. I love it. What um, What kind of porn do you like? If I need a quickie, I'll go for like something really just like, heterosexual and, like, easy. Something really easy. Yeah. Like, in and out. Um, but I really... I prefer to watch porn of people I know. I know for mm. some people that's, like, a weird line. Yeah. But I'm just like, hey, it's there. It's your art. Like, I, I'm proud of the art that I've made. I feel like I want to see other people's art, too. So... Do you mean porn um, with people that you know that they have done professionally uh and that is available online or do you mean like sharing like private sex tapes with friends or like seeing them on like amateur sites or something like that both 
Yeah. Uh, mo- mostly uh, professional, but when I was in the Bay Area, specifically when I was more open and poly, I, I would do that with my friends. We'd yeah. film each other, we'd share films, and there would be like amateur porn nights. Fun! Yeah. That's really fun. Um, I like that because then the appeal of watching the amateur porn, which the, like, amateurness is, like, part of the story of what you're watching, right? Like, the fact that there's not, like, production values to signify yeah. that these people are performing and <laughs> and, and that, um, uh, like, I think that that is very appealing to people, but so often the appeal, that sto- the appeal of that story gets tied up in non-consent, right? Like, the naughtiness of watching, like, something that is supposed to be private that you are not supposed to see, or that, like, even, like, watching, like, amateur sites or tube sites where people have, like, uploaded things ostensibly for people to see but also like maybe it was stolen and and, like uploaded unconsensually and that like people find that appealing so I like the idea that you set up things for people to like enjoy that but when it was like explicit consent yes yeah in that way I prefer to work with friends and you know when you have friends you're sharing a shared history a shared story so I like I like to work with people who I could foresee myself building friendships with yeah that was one thing that i really liked about making porn in the bay area in the like early late aughts was that i would like meet a new friend and be like do you want to get paid to have sex and then now like there are some folks who i know who i'm like still friends with you know like six or seven years later and it's like oh yeah <laughs> when we like when we first met we like <laughs> Did this did this scene and uh, I almost forgot <laughs> about that, you know. But it can be a fun way to relate to certain friends that way. Yeah, for sure. Well, are there are there um, role plays that you like to do at work? Yeah, I I really like to show up as myself and then go through this transformation of. Um, being more femme Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be in the same session it can just be my showing up as I am and then eventually building like a story together and working out how I will show up as femme cool Um, I also just like to feel like one main narrative for me like this is a thread that just follows me is not necessarily even though I express myself as a woman not identifying as a woman mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm identifying more as a femboy or like or a man and then showing up to these sites and putting on this femme drag and feeling kind of embarrassed and humiliated a little bit mm. and just like made really uncomfortable and I get really shy when I'm femme because yeah. I just doesn't really feel like me yeah but I'm supposedly like this like pretty cute young lady <laughs> and it's just it's awkward and then to perform um specifically my favorite is to mean toppy women like that for me <laughs> like the true fans you know like that for me is like okay that's cool that that's one of my favorites for sure cool um it's it's interesting when you say that it's not that being femme is inherently humiliating yeah. but that you 
you're you're coming at it from this sort of skewed gender place of being like, I don't necessarily identify with this, but I don't necessarily not, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I worship, I worship femmes. Like, yeah. I think they're badass. I love how they show up in the world. I think they take a lot of shit, and they do it gracefully and with a lot of beauty. And just all of the... You know, all the physical work and the time and energy that you someone takes into being femme, it's just, I'm just like, damn, I'm going to bow down to that. <laughs> or I, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, oh, I have the power to do it too. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Do I? I don't know. Sometimes. <laughs> I just want to, you know, be a boy and burp and hump things. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to wear lipstick. <laughs> but you do kind of sometimes want to yes. wear lipstick, it seems yeah. like. I, I like dressing up. I, I'm like a, I'm a femboy, I'm a princess sometimes. It happens. Well, right, it makes sense that, you know, that when you're in femme, it's not like a confirmation of your femininity, it's like... A femininity inscribed on top of the more like boyish masculine identity that feels a little bit more like what you are like at at home yes my baseline yeah exactly um uh yeah i relate to that um and sometimes you have to be seen as a boy in order to feel comfortable being in high femme, or you need to be seen as a boy doing high femme instead of Ooh. a like cis confirmation of feminine yeah. identity. Yeah, that like killed me to do that, especially since I I was kind of in the closet about it for a while. It it just took too much out of me to perform that all the time and to not have a place like my own inner sanctuary mm-hmm. where I could where I felt like I could show up as my full self. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you like wearing other kinds of costumes besides a sort of high femme persona? Um, I kind of, there's like my, that's like my clean look. And then there's like my messy, (laughs) like 13 year old punk rock girl look. Uh Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So even within the high femme persona, there's, there's different caricatures. Can you talk about some of them? So there's like, there's like a clean cut one and then there's like a, like, kinder whore like 90s yeah and then uh, look <laughs> right girl look yeah and then I have like kind of I guess like hipster skate skater girl mm. kind of mm-hmm. um or like hippie like yeah there's just like so many I I like looking sporty so you basically are all the Spice Girls, is what you're saying here now. You have a look for every Spice Girl. As we know, that's one of the Joseph Campbell ancient archetypes, is the, each, each Spice, the ginger and the Oh, so and the, the Spice scary. Girls growing up. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense. For sure. Um, are, but are, and are there other characters that you like to play? Like, do you like to be a nurse? Do you like to be a mommy or a daddy? Do you like to be a schoolgirl? Do you like to be a secretary? Do you like to be a pirate? Do you like to be a, <laughs> a, a like a puppy or an animal? Like, are there animal stories that you like to tell? Yeah, like, I like to be a... Well, in the past, I've liked to be a kitten. Nice. For sure. Um, what kind of kitten? 
a black cat. Uh-huh. Like a feral <laughs> no black cat. No hesitation. <laughs> Did you say feral? A feral black cat? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like a street cat. Yeah. And um, I I sometimes like being a mom or a dad. Mommy, daddy. Mm-hmm. 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 I eventually want to do Tuxedo Mask from Sailor Moon. Oh, my God. Because I'm convinced Sailor Moon made me gay. <laughs> Doesn't she... Okay, I'm going to nerd out for a second. Doesn't she call him sort of like a... Doesn't she use like the like female diminutive in in Japanese to talk to him? Do you, is this ringing bell? Do you know what I'm talking about? I like, mean, I wouldn't be surprised because they gender fuck all the time in that show. Doesn't it... Um, I loved Sailor Moon when I was an adolescent. Yeah. Um, uh, and I would watch the dubbed version and the <laughs> subtitled version. I would like send away for the subtitled <laughs> ones. Um, and they would come like on like someone's like dubbed video um, thing with like a handwritten uh, label. Anyway, um, yeah, like you say Chan at the name uh, at the yeah, end of yeah. the of the name, um, like Tina Chan, right, it, to sort of say like you're my lady friend, uh-huh. not like a like girlfriend, but like you're my friend who's a lady. And she would call Tuxedo Mask, or what is his name when he is not Tuxedo Mask? I forget now. I want to say it's like Darian or something. Yeah, Darian, I think. And I just remember reading that, and it's like it—it's something that like linguistically is like sort of like a weird cultural joke, but that does not translate because we don't put like masculine, feminine. Uh-huh. I mean, but I guess we—we—it's it's like if you were calling someone cutie. Right? Like, it sort of makes sense to, like, call a female friend cutie, but to, like, call a male friend cutie is, like, kind of gay. <laughs> I guess so. Man, okay. Anyway, <laughs> so I just started talking about Sailor Moon, but you want to do a tuxedo mask uh, costume that is so hot. Yeah. He's so debonair. He is. I like that dapper look, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you like... What else do you like about tuxedo mask? <laughs> Um, his cape and yeah. the flowers. I re- I'm all about giving ladies flowers. <laughs> for my birthday, I just gave like everybody who was sharing space with me a rose and a kiss on the cheek just for being there. Oh my god, that's very tuxedo mask. That was my gift to myself. <laughs> yeah, self care like a boss. <laughs> um, amazing. Uh, well, listen. While we're wrapping up, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your uh, chapter in Jizzly's new anthology coming out like a porn star, which I creative directed. Yes. Um, and uh, also have an essay in. You um, do, and you're reading with me. Yes, uh, at Blue Stockings. January 9th. January 9th. I think this will come out before that, but if not, yeah. you missed it. <laughs> um, but you should check out uh, coming out like a porn star. Um, and t- tell me tell me about your chapter. Like, g- Give people like a little like, sort of enticement to to check out the book and check out your chapter in it sure i i wrote about using my birth name and first and middle birth name for my stage name in porn um coming out to my father through skype and interesting (laughs) since you use skype so much at work (laughs) yep and being fisted by ms berlin in electro slats awesome that is a great teaser. I've read it and I feel teased. Oh. <laughs> that makes it's like teasing me to go back and read it again. Um, cool, cool. Um, and is there anything else coming up for you that you want to plug? 
Oh, man. Aside from my blog, which I'm going to be putting a lot of energy into. Um, which is, what's the URL for that again? It's sletsmartsoul.com. Nice. Yeah. Cool. No, that's it. Just uh, if you want to follow me, look me up on Twitter. That's where I do most of my postings. It's at milkaorbisetto.com. Oh, not .com. At Milko Bissetto or <laughs> at Milko Halibi. Will you spell those for us right yeah. now? Yeah. It's um, Milka, M-I-L-C-A-H, Halibi, H-A-L-I-L-I, and Orbisetto, O-R-B-A-C-E-D-O. And I think I'm going to make a, a Twitter for Slut Smart Soul. Nice. That should be easier. Why do you have the two different ones? Um, when I started out, it was trying to I was trying to divide my writer persona and my porn performer persona how's that working out Meh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah it's it's awkward now because I have followers on both but I feel like I should just encourage everybody to follow slut smart soul just condense it all yeah good strategy yeah cool um, well, I like following you and I am so excited to read more of your writing and I am Oh, and you're going to come to my uh, Dirty Talk workshop. I am. I'm so excited. At Please, here in New York in Park Slope. I was just interviewed for the Park Slope Stoop, Ooh. which I, I felt very scandalous about. I felt like, oh, are all the like classic Park Slope parents like going to read this newsletter where I'm like talking about anti-oppression in uh, dirty language, um, but so that was that was a funny bit of press. Um, but I'm I'm excited about that. Do you do you, do you like talking dirty? Or are you like curious about like learning more in the class or both? I'm also a very shy person, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. What do you want? <laughs> what do you if you could like curate something about the the workshop? What would it be like? What do you want to see in a dirty talk workshop? Um. I guess for me personally, like how to deal with emotional blocks around mm. feeling like shy or mm. mm-hmm. hesitant. Yep. What has worked for you in the past when you're feeling shy or hesitant? Uh, breathing, getting back in my body. Sometimes if someone just slaps me, <laughs> that also works. That's what I'm going to tell them in Park Slope. <laughs> Don't hit your kids. <laughs> Do hit your partner <laughs> with consent. Yes. Kids cannot consent. Don't hit kids. Um, anyway, I went there. Um, but uh, I know what you mean. Sometimes being slapped across the face is just the reset reset mm-hmm. button I need. Um, cool, actually. That's, that's really good advice. I think sometimes I get caught up in talking about language and I forget to remind people to um, get back in their bodies with breathing so that's that's a good one cool what's your favorite dirty word oh my favorite dirty word what's right. your favorite one to use at work uh, right now i guess it's slut i mean that makes sense right it's a perennial favorite <laughs> definitely my favorite yeah it never gets old yeah it never gets old cool what what do you like about the word slut i just like the hissing sound at the beginning and like Ooh, the, uh, yeah. uh, and it's <laughs> like how it kind of just like abruptly ends and then you're like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a slap to the face. Slut. <laughs> you're totally right. 
<laughs> well, I can't think of a better note to end on. So thank you so much for going deep and talking super nerdy about language and storytelling and creating nonfiction with me. I appreciate it a lot. Yes, this was so much fun. Thanks for tuning in to episode 33. Follow at Tina Horns S on Twitter. Subscribe and write us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And visit wiredpeopleintothat.com to subscribe to our newsletter and listen to the archives of seasons one and two. As ever, Why Are People Into That is produced and hosted by yours truly, Tina Horn. Our theme song is by Pine from Oakland, California. Our website was designed by Justin Levesque. And this project is now sponsored by my generous and very dateable patrons. Get in on this at patreon.com slash Tina Horn. Until next time, I'll be choosing my own adventure. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.